And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is Matt Watson, your host today, and I am excited to be joined today by Peter Solomini. Uh, talking to him, uh, founder of Bueller, about his company and his journey from going uh, from an engineer to founder and entrepreneur. So uh, similar to my journey, excited to hear all about his journey and uh, and learn all about it. Um, first, I'll remind everybody today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Canva, where you go to collaborate and create amazing graphic design for free, whether it is a presentation to share an idea a video to launch your business, or a social post to start a conversation. With Canva, you can design anything. Discover the magic and visual communication and how Canva helps you create a lasting impact today. Visit canva.com to learn more. So, Peter, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Great to be here. Yeah, doing pretty well. So, you know, I'm a software developer myself and a software developer for over 20 years and, and turned entrepreneur. And I, you know, love to hear your, your journey um, and, and how you made that journey. Yeah, um, man. So I guess it for me, I sort of got into software pretty early on. Um, but I actually went to a school when I was really young where no technology was allowed, even in the home for any of the families that sent their students there. So it was very off the grid, kind of earthy, crunchy. It was a wall. What? Familiar? Yeah, it's a very, very interesting concept. Like the, a the school class. where no technology is allowed. No, te- and not even in the home. So like we didn't have a TV until we moved when I was 12 to New York. And then, you know, I'd watch TV at my grandma's house and stuff. Where, where, so where it, were you uh, living? In Maine. <laughs> and there was no, no yeah, it, electronics in the house either? No, no electronics in the house. It was the, the classes that we took throughout the day were dancing, knitting, woodworking, unicycling. It was just, you know, skiing. And then we had one class where we do math and science and history. So it's very, I think the idea, the general premise, and I love it. You know, I, I hope to be able to send my kids to a Waldorf school someday. But the general premise is to teach students to enjoy learning rather than, you know, crunch information and facts and memorization into people's heads. So it's a great Makes concept. Sense. My, my kids spend too much time on uh, watching TV and iPad and YouTube, so yeah. I get it. I feel like it's my easy kids. to say that you keep them off, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, not at all. Um, I'm also, I, don't, I don't mean to start my my life story from day one, but <laughs> uh, I guess the, it's somewhat important to mention because when I moved to New York, you know, the getting into technology was just this old, incredibly new and exciting thing. And so when we had a professor, a high school teacher, come down to the middle school one day and talk about the computer science elective, and his name is Mr. Jadav from Amerinek High School, great guy. Um, he really got me into it. And then all through high school, I was, you know, working on different products and projects and ideas. Um, but I guess the way it really started was, you know, March 16th, the day that classes went online at Tulane. And initially I was like, oh, this is great, you know, because I'd been working so- on some other projects at the time. But as soon as that happened, I was like, you know, I, 
I don't have to go to this 7 a.m. class anymore. I can just write a, a, a script on my computer that'll show up to class for me and then I'll sleep through it. <laughs> I was worried about sleep too. You know, I've, I've been reading um, the Why We Sleep book by Dr. Matthew Walker. And uh, it's, you know, there's some really, really interesting effects that lack of sleep has on education. Mm -hmm. And obviously they're not positive. Um, so I was all worried about that. And, and so I wrote this script and started, uh, you know, sleeping through my early class and then I would just go watch the recording later in the day. And then my roommates, you know, of course I was telling them about it and they all started asking for a copy of it. So I put it on a little, it was an executable. I put it on a flash drive and I was just installing it for people. And I started charging 20 bucks a pop. I was going around campus doing it for people. And then, wow. Kind of got to a point. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> and then got to a point where I was like, you know, I think there's actually a, maybe a scalable business opportunity here. I was making some money selling it at, at Tulane, but uh, you know, all my friends from high school at all their different colleges were also on zoom and you know, how long students. ago was this? This was 2020. Like, okay. Okay. Hit, you know, as soon as classes went online and I, I think Stanford was the first school to do it. Um, and I, I, I had been talking with uh, my professor, Walter Isaacson is a professor at Tulane, absolutely incredible professor. And we had a lot of really interesting conversations about what the world would look like. Um, if, if everything moves online and that was starting to plant the seeds of ideas in my brain. And then when it actually happened, I was like, it was that so, day, that March 16th. <laughs> so, so how did you create the software that, uh, recorded this? I mean, was it a pretty rudimentary or pretty sophisticated thing at that point? Like when you were, you know, kind of hacking this together for your own, for your own use? Yeah. V zero. Absolutely. It was like a weekend project. Um, it was just a selenium script basically that would open the browser and then type in, you know, whatever the zoom link was, you could tell it what time to join. And then I was trying to think about ways to wake up the computer in the middle of the night so that you didn't have to leave it running all night. Um, I, but then when it really got interesting was like, okay, well, if we want to make this a scalable business, I, I'm not going to be able to ship flash drives. around. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the best way to go. So that's when it started to go, you know, we had, to, yeah. we have to move to the SAS model. So I teamed up with a buddy of mine, who I had met at a hackathon in China, actually, which was a crazy story. But uh, he was at Georgia Tech. And so I called him and I was like, dude, we got to build this, <laughs> this website. There's, you know, everyone's online. So many people are loving this product. I'm, I'm making it, you know, a decent chunk of change, just selling it as like a non-scalable, yeah. executable file that's buggy and, you know, people still get value out of it. So we teamed up and then you get into the whole, like, now we have to have cloud servers or... Mm -hmm. Well, obviously we weren't. Shit's getting real. Up. Yeah, shit, shit got real really fast. So, <laughs> so. so let me ask you this. I mean, this started out, you were still in college, right, when this started. And you were, would you say you were a very experienced or skilled software developer at that point? Or were you still like early on your journey? Like, did you, did you feel like you knew what you were doing, like trying to write some code and figure this out? Like, were you able to write the code yourself and figure this out? Or did you have to hire some other people? Or kind of how did you go through the the journey of like being an engineer at that point too? That's a great question. That's a great question. I would say at that point, when we first got started, I was fully capable of building V0. But then when it came to, you know, well, we want to design this microservice architecture and move it into Kubernetes or, you know, find a way to, to really scale it up. I know nothing about DevOps still to this day. I'm not. not yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, infrastructure is not my, my domain. I, uh, I started to move more to the back end and, and we keep most of our back end in, in node. We have a, a server in Django as well, but 
um, at the time I, you know, I, I wasn't really sure, but I knew that, uh, Jinsaw, who, um, I teamed up with, he was fantastic engineer. He's like, you know, had job offers from Google when he was 16 living in Korea. And then, you know, they got revoked when they found out he was 16, but, um, <laughs> so, I, so I was like, two of, so is the two of you became the founders of the company yes. then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, for, for a, a period of time. Yeah. And, and, um, so we, it, it was, I, that's a really, you know, I want to ruminate on that question for a minute. Cause it's at the time, you know, over the last two years, I would say my confidence in my ability as an engineer has tenfold. Right. Yeah, but absolutely. At the time it's like, um, I didn't really know what well, the best approach was. Well, and that's the hard part when you're in college, right? Like you sort of do these dumb exercises of, you know, whatever, lab assignments they give you like everybody comes in and they make some stupid ui with a button and it does this thing and it's a calculator or a to-do list or whatever it's like something stupid right but now it's like you've got a mission like i need to build something to do x y and z and it has a real purpose and i gotta go figure it out and you know that's the hard part about software development or any kind of engineering task like building a house like i have tools to build a house but i don't know what kind of house to build well, now yeah. you know what to build. You're like, I know, I know what I'm trying to accomplish. So it's like, now we know what we're working towards. Right. And yeah. you got a goal. And That's so, a yeah, where, you know, otherwise you're in school, you're kind of doing these dumb kind of simulated stuff, like little mm -hmm. weird projects and whatever. And it's Toy like, project. no, we're doing some real shit. This is cool. Like, yeah. you know, that's a great experience for you, man. And you don't need to, to do any sort of binary searching to build a react app. So it's, it's a kind no. of, you know, it's two separate. There's like what you learn in academia or even as an undergrad in computer science, that's that's completely, you know, yeah. but absolutely, you know, the mindset and the way you think about solving problems is absolutely the same. But in industry, you don't get that experience of like reading documentation and implementing APIs. That's just not something that you do in class, which well, makes and that, sense. And, that, and you highlight a big problem right there with the education system, right? So I did not study computer science. I went to a, a, a place called DeVry, which is like a you get a bachelor's degree, but it's more of a tech school and it's a, four, it's a four year college degree. And, you know, we were, we didn't study like binary sorting algorithms and like how to create an operating system and like hardware engineering and, and, you know, a lot of the kind of more low level stuff that I think they teach you in computer science, right? Like you're, like you're kind of talking about in the real world world today as a computer programmer, it's more like, Hey, here's some, like, if you know how to write JavaScript and stuff, like, just go write some code, right? Like, you don't need to know and understand, like, what pointers are and the lower level, like, system design and, and you know, assembler and all this kind of crazy shit that maybe they teach you in computer science. It's great for all the theory and understanding, like, how computers work. And if you were going to create an operating system, you know, or do some really low level programming, it makes sense. But for, like, 98% of software developers these days that are writing web applications, server-based applications, web apps, mobile apps, all this stuff. You don't need any of that shit. None of it. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's it's useful if you want to go work for Google ad serving or Stripe or Palantir and do some crazy, you know, technical, uh, really deep tech. But probably doesn't even then. Yeah, that's a good point. No, <laughs> you, you might you might need that shit if you're controlling an electric motor in a Tesla and you're riding the microcontroller that controls the electric motor, right? Like that that would be a <laughs> yeah, whole different thing, right? Yeah. But to create a web application that displays some data in HTML, like it doesn't take extreme yeah. computer science knowledge. But anyways, yeah, I just think it's funny. Like computer science to me is like kind of overcomplicated for what most of us do.
Right. Right. It's yeah. Yeah. It kind of takes me to this idea too, that, I mean, building applications nowadays is, is, is easier than ever before. I think maybe absolutely. two decades ago, some of that knowledge would have been absolutely necessary, right? You would have had to get really low level with how operating systems work to host a server out of your dorm room. Um, but now it's, it's <laughs> as simple as calling the APIs from AWS or any of these big cloud players. So it's definitely more software assembly these days, right? Like mm. most, and, and I would guess a lot of things that you guys do, right? Your, your, your software. So we should talk more about it. Bueller, right? Re- records meetings, um, which talked about earlier, but I would guess a lot of the stuff you're doing now is built on top of other things that exist, right? Like how do we take the recording of an audio and do transcription and stuff like that? I would guess you guys probably didn't write that yourself. You're using other things that already do the transcription, right? Yeah, we're we're actually in the process of building our own models for uh, transcription. We're using a fast AI as a library that uh, really mm-hmm. cool. If anyone's looking to get into AI stuff, uh, that's a really really cool place to go. Just got a, a little bit of Python under your belt, and they they teach you a lot of the neural network uh, ropes, I guess you could say. Yeah, but yeah, we're we're in the process of building our own models, mostly for summarization. That's kind of the the path we want to get into. So right now, Bueller's product. And so it's Bueller, B-E-U-L-R.com. By Bueller. The way, I, gotta, I feel like uh, you have to say it like that. Bueller. Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. Because it, like like, it has to be Bueller. <laughs> but, uh, how, did you, how did you come up with the name, by the way? Oh, that was that was my stroke of genius moment. I was, we were struggling with it for days, days and days and days. And then I, don't, I think it was just at one, at one point, it was um, just kind of popped into mind. I, I honestly don't even remember. But uh, to this day, I think that's my favorite part about the whole project is just the name. <laughs> it definitely makes it rememberable, right? And, yeah. you know, for those don't remember, right? Like Bueller's Day Off was a famous movie and he didn't go to school and he went and partied instead, right? And crashed a Ferrari and all the things they did. But, I mean, it, it's kind of a funny name of like, you know, your assistant that records notes for you in a meeting. So I, yeah. I think it's funny. And it, as you highlighted, naming things is really hard. Really hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. We're thinking about we're so we're I can't I can't release too much information about it, but we're launching a B2B product in the next few weeks and uh trying to decide is it is it gonna be Bueller for business or are we gonna come up with something more creative? Well isn't isn't your product today isn't geared towards businesses? It is actually. Um but we're launching like a, a strictly B2B SaaS, so we're selling to organizations um with the new product. Okay. Um, but with yeah, I feel like you know, to clear, I want I want to clarify a little bit like the current product because I mean most of our users now. Funny enough, we have still a lot of a lot of uh, Zoom students that are using the product, but um, you know, obviously a lot of countries have started moving away from Zoom education uh, or at least moving towards more of a hybrid model. But interestingly enough, I don't I don't think anyone could ever guess this, but our most um, growing and second most popular user base is actually doctors right now. Okay, interesting. So for, why doctors? It, yeah, it's uh, I. It's not for what you might think, which is like transcribing um, meetings with with uh, patients. It's not. It's not that. Which also, you know, that's a difficult space to get into because that's a whole HIPAA these, nightmare. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's actually not for that. It's that doctors um, and accountants they're required to attend these webinars, or you know, there, there's all these there's these long seminars, webinars, multi day long events. Um, and there's two use cases for it there. One is to be able to sort of time shift 
so if you you know if you can't go to a webinar on April 20th, then you can watch the recording on April 21st, and you might not be guaranteed that the recording is going to be sent out. Um, and the other is that there's also a lot of concurrent speakers going on at those events. So there's like three speakers mm. at 11, mm -hmm. three speakers at 11:30, and so yeah. you can send a bot to each different one and kind of get a recording of those. So you know we're monitoring all the different ways that people use the product, but that's that to me is one of the more interesting ones for sure. See, I I swear. So the last company I was at, we had a, you know a lot of management meetings on a weekly basis, and honestly, it it always was hilarious to me that our CEO was like the note taker of the meetings. Like I thought that was silly. It's like our CEO was the one taking notes, and uh, it would have been like I guess we could have replaced our whole CEO uh, if we would have had Bueller. Um, but I would imagine, don't you have a lot of corporate? customers that use it for like management meetings and, and, and things like that on a weekly basis where it's like, Oh, we just want to have the me like kind of meeting minutes of like what the, what the meeting was. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where we're getting into the transcript, uh, the transcription summarization space as well. Mm -hmm. like finding ways to, cause from that, a lot of what our customers have been asking for is like integrations with existing workflows, whether that be a CRM or, you mm -hmm. know, Zapier, if they can just push it anywhere. Slack. Well, you're right. And your pricing is way, way too low for corporate accounts. Yeah. <laughs> like 10 or $20 a month. I mean, as a, as a corporate buyer, like it could be $200 a month and it's the same as $20 a month to me. Right. Like, and that, I think that's something, I mean, that, that's my feedback for you is your pricing is way, way too low for business. Yeah. For the college student that doesn't want to go to class. Yeah. They're not going to pay $200, but for a corporate account, you can charge way more money. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, you got to think it's like to a corporate, a corporate customer, like it's not, it's not a lot of money. It's nothing, you know, I could yeah. fire our CEO for $200 a month. Hell yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a very good point though. That's definitely a very good point. I'm excited. So, yeah. Uh, no, go ahead. So uh, uh, as a reminder, um, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Canva. With Canva, you can design your ideas with ease, get inspired, with over 500,000 free templates and rich content library that helps you and your team achieve your goals, sign up and start designing for free at canva.com. You ever use Canva? I have actually. I have. Does it awesome. make you like a super awesome graphic designer? Uh, there's there's just about nothing that can make me good at design, but uh, I'd say it's about <laughs> as close as you can get. <laughs> I, I always joke uh, at at Full Scale, our, our company, um, we do you know help we help people build software development teams. And I always joke our CEO, Matt, that he's like a, a world-class graphic designer because he uses Canva. <laughs> he's like the best designer I know. It's amazing. He's have the right tools, man. It's cool. There you go. So here's a question for you. Um, you do, so you, you're helping teams outsource, right, to to development teams? Is that? At full scale, yeah. I mean, we, we work with um, so, uh, software companies, uh, usually kind of growth stage companies that are looking to scale up and hire developers because they're hard to find. Okay, and then correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like the the thing that people mistake the most with with that sort of engagement, like outsourcing engineers, or whether it be in the U.S. or abroad, is just miscommunication um, and things falling through the cracks. Not really clear on requirements. Well, as as you know, right? You you own a software company. the The most important thing of software development is communication, right? It's understanding what is the product supposed to do? How is it supposed to do it? The architecture, the UI design, the mock, you know, UI mockups, like all of those things, right? It's like building a house without having a blueprint. You know, like if the development team knows what to do, it makes them 10 times more effective, right? And 
And that's that's an issue no matter where your software developers are. It doesn't matter if they're sitting at the desk next to you right. or if they're halfway around the world. Um, you know, there's smart engineers all over the world in literally every country, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, especially in software today, we, we live in more of a global workforce because there's not enough software developers, you know, in the U.S. or anywhere. And like you, you, you mentioned earlier, you're in San Francisco. Like, I can't imagine trying to hire software developers in San Francisco. Um, do you have, do you have a few that work for you at this point in, in the Bay area? It's, it's expensive. I'll say, um, not in the Bay area at the moment. Uh, we've got a team of about five, but everyone's spread out all over the mm -hmm. place, which is, you know, so we, we actually use Bueller internally for our meetings as well. And it's kind of the same concept It's like you miss, you know, something happens. And if you don't have a recording of it and we agreed yeah. on this thing, or we agreed on solving problem X this way and problem Y that way. And then you you end the zoom call and you go get a coffee or whatever and all of a sudden everyone forgets what happened so it's like yeah <laughs> it's yeah tough. I, you know you mentioned earlier like the big challenge is the summarization part of it and kind of capturing like what the action items are like what decisions were made right like trying to figure that out out of automatic you know ai and, tra and transcription stuff is is probably a big challenge but if you could figure out how to do it it would be worth more than 200 dollars a month for sure yeah that's uh, that's the plan. That's the plan. We have this sort of vision of a one central hub for all of a company's video, so it's searchable, easily browsed, transcribed, summarized, so, right? Just pick uh, through. Another market for you, if you can figure it out, is is actually podcasts, like summarizing podcasts. Like uh, I would I would sign up for it if you can summarize this podcast with the top ten highlights and know you know, what those were and exactly what minute and second those highlights were. And we could turn that into a blog post. Um, be uh, really valuable. So there you go. There's another market for you. All right. I'll send you an email on that one. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as, as you went from this idea and growing this idea along the way, somehow or another, I heard that you made it to Shark Tank. I would love to, to hear more about that. Yeah, sure. Sure. So I guess the path leading into Shark Tank, it was a it was a long road for sure. Um, after we, we launched in March, 2020, um, launch initially went incredibly well. We, we got this website up, we sent the link around just to a couple different group chats, friends from home, friends from school, whatever it was. And then two weeks later, there were 11,000 people that had signed up Oh, in something different countries. It was absolutely nuts. And obviously we tried to scale it as much as possible, but it was not built to scale to those levels of usage. So, you know, fast forward, about a year, um, we got a, a feature in the Wall Street Journal that totally changed the direction of the company. Ended up getting me fired from my internship before it even started. Oh, <laughs> I was wow. supposed to get uh, at Goldman Sachs, and they saw the article in the Wall Street Journal and contacted. It was a whole mess. That's a, that's a different story for another time. But um, then uh, I completely ran out of cash, maxed out all my credit cards, and had to move with my parents, and then got a job out in San Francisco. So I drove out there, um, was working as a software engineer at another startup. And while this was all going on, I had, I had applied to Shark Tank like maybe five months previously. Uh, it's a really slow moving process from that perspective. They, they obviously get a ton of applications. And so the process of sifting through them and figuring out who to you know, invite to the next round of interviews or whatever is, is definitely not super speedy, which is understandable. So I'm working at this other startup and then... Uh, one day I got an email from someone with the ABC email and they're like, Hey, we liked your application. Uh, we were hoping you could send us a, a demo video and like introduce yourself and introduce the product. 
So I went out and I bought all this equipment and I dressed up as Ferris Bueller <laughs> and I did the whole Ferris Bueller monologue of like, you know, how to, <laughs> the key to figuring out the teacher, you know, the whole thing. It was great. Oh my and God. The shower scene and everything is awesome. I to see this video. <laughs> I'll send it to you. It's unlisted on YouTube, but I'll send it. <laughs> so yeah, so I figured, you know, even from when I got that email, I was like, if they like the, because the, the initial application on their website is submit a two sentence about your company and that's it. Um, and I was like, if they like the two sentence on Bueller, then they're probably going to like everything else. So I had a good feeling about it. And then, uh, just, you know, a couple application rounds later, I got an email and they said, Hey, um, here's your flight <laughs> and, and here's a hotel and uh, someone will pick you up from the airport. And it actually, we filmed on my birthday, which was super funny. And I forgot to mention it, which was tough too. Um, but yeah, incredible experience. Um, just, and they, they aired, they aired it on TV too. Yeah. 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 So we aired, so we filmed in July, July 26th. That was my birthday. And then it aired in November, um, November okay. 5th. So that was just, yeah, it was that whole process. So we didn't raise money on the show. Um, okay. and still at that time I knew nothing about the fundraising landscape. And I think it was, what was it? Nathan, um, from founder suite that you had on the podcast a while back, who was talking about VC fundraising processes and how like 90% mm -hmm. of the VC funded companies are running the same process. Essentially it looks identical. Um, but none of these things I had realized up until that point. So it was Shark Tank was like this once in a lifetime opportunity and it still absolutely is right. It's, it's an incredible, incredible opportunity, but something I learned from that is, you know, it's not, not getting a deal on the show is, is by no means the end of the company, right? It's well, I, I would guess your guys' website blew up and you know, the next week after it aired. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely got a massive traffic spike. But uh, actually, here's some food for thought too. Though is we actually we went viral in on TikTok in um, April of 2020, and we saw a massive traffic spike, right? Um, and then the Shark Tank traffic spike in November of 2021 was completely identical to this TikTok where we paid someone $75 to get a a, a video made, and it got like two and a half million views. I think the landscape of how these things work is changing very rapidly. Um, but it was very good for the business generally just going on the mm -hmm. show and we got all this feedback, all these ideas from so many people that watched were, you know, messaging me on Facebook or Instagram or email. And it was an overwhelming couple months for sure. Just right after that. But so at that hustle. time, were you still working full-time somewhere else? And Bueller was sort of like your side hustle. Like you weren't, yeah. you weren't working at Bueller full-time. Yeah, so I, I was full-time on Bueller from March 2020, and then I dropped out of college. I did a year of just working on Bueller and trying to okay. still live in my, with my college friends, which is not, not a great idea. But I did that year, and then um, I ended up getting that job. And then I was, yeah, I was fully full-time at another company. It was an awesome startup. I mean, still is. Um, I did end up leaving after, because soon after we filmed, um, I sort of got into this, you know, VC funding the right way or, you know, going mm -hmm. about process, kind of being on top of things. And so I think it was about a month after we filmed the Shark Tank episode that I left that job um, and just went back full time. But it was also like, you know, we knew we were about to get this huge traffic spike and, and this whole national exposure. And it would definitely be good for the product to be as as uh, prepared for that as possible. So it made sense. Well, I'm going to guess they prepared you and told you that, right? You're like, hey, even if you don't get a deal, you're going to get a lot of exposure from this. And, and it's like, it was all great free exposure for you, right? Like, I mean, I mean, what better ad could you have of just free exposure? Yeah. So, 
Yes, definitely. But one thing, one thing I'll say too is they don't tell you you're going to air until three weeks to the day. So we filmed in July, and then they're like, "All right, you'll you might air, you might not, and we'll tell you three weeks in advance." So that whole time in between, then I mean, wow. obviously, no until. Um, so what percentage air versus the don't? I've heard, and this, you know, I'm not, I'm not positive. But I've heard it's like fifty percent air, and then half of the so, half of so it's filmed don't air. So the reason I asked earlier is I know somebody who filmed for it and didn't air, and that's why I asked. And they actually deemed that his company potentially was was competition to like ABC and Disney, um, and so they didn't they didn't have airing. And I, I think they saw it as like a potential conflict of like if this company was ever wildly successful, it would be uh, competitive or something. I, I don't I don't know exactly, but it was it was like a weird weird ordeal, you know. Oh man, I would have been so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's that's interesting to know that there's that high a percentage that, that don't actually air. I Yeah. So so when you went to film, was there like 20 other companies there that day and you're all sitting around the green room like waiting to go out there and get eaten by the sharks? <laughs> yeah, so there's basically I I think maybe my experience was slightly different because of COVID, but we all had our own mm. trailers. And then they okay. set us up. We had to get up at, at 6 a.m. from the hotel, which was terrible. I mean, if you know anything about Bueller, you know I like to sleep in. But <laughs> had to get up at 6. And uh, and then we're sitting in the trailer and just, you know, one by one, they grab someone out of the trailer and they go in. And sometimes you see people coming back crying and it's like, oh, God. Oh, jeez. But sometimes you, you can tell they kind of got a deal just because they're all amped up. But Well, it was, it's got to yeah. be exhausting as the sharks that sit there all day and go through this crap. For weeks too, because it's every day, every day for weeks. It's just absolutely nutty. And the year before, um, apparently they did it in sort of like the NBA bubble style. So they weren't allowed to leave the facility for like a month. They just flew in all the entrepreneurs that were going to be pitching. And then all the sharks had to stay in this bubble and get tested every day, which I can't even imagine because that experience for, for me was a lot, you know, just being there for a week and going through all the different you know, here's where you stand and this is da 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 and you know, try to Yeah, how much how much did they coach you on your presentation and like work with you to prepare? Yeah, usually there sort of seem like a little bit of a gimmicky to the presentation to make it kind of a show, right? Like did they did did they work with you on like how you would do your presentation and stuff to make it good for TV? Yeah, I would say leading into the actual trip to LA, yes. Uh there was a lot of back and forth on how to do the initial like one minute, two minute mm -hmm. presentation. But that's really it. And then when you when you arrive, they kind of show you the facility so you can get comfortable with the space. And uh, that uh, I'll never forget that first experience of just walking in there because I used to, you know, I obviously watched that show when I was younger. Um, always always wondered what it would be like to actually go on when I was a fifteen year old, sixteen year old, <laughs> and then actually standing there it was such a trip. I was looking at them like this. This is not real. This Did is you so have it all memorized? I had um, I had the first about minute of it memory like the initial presentation mm -hmm. sort of where it, so i we did this whole thing where i got out of the bed and was pretending to wake up and everything but it was uh that i had memorized and everything else just off the cuff so was but it, it you and your your business partner that went with you like there were two of you just, that just you okay no, okay yeah and it was uh i mean it's it's crazy because I, I think i was in there for over an hour and a half just you know back and forth really great conversations there were, I mean, we got really technical with Mark Cuban at one point and um, all sorts of interesting different avenues that this company could go. And 
all the things that we've done in the past. And, you know, and then that gets boiled down to a seven minute clip. Right. So it's, well, and that's what I was going to ask you is how long, how long were you there? Yeah. Cause I thought I've heard that before. Like, you know, you could be there for a very long time. And, and then when they edit it together, sometimes you know, they may edit it in weird ways that oh, yeah. make you look one way or another, right? Like how, how they make it look good for TV. Yeah. That was a, uh, learning experience. I'll put it that way. Well, <laughs> very, a lot very of- cool. Very cool, man. So, um, you know, so today you're, you're working full-time at, at, at Bueller and, and you have some other, other full-time employees. Yeah. So we did, um, about a week after the show, I decided to raise money, uh, after we filmed. So it was in August, um, started talking to a couple angel investors and that led to a few conversations. And this was just, you know, I being out in San Francisco, I think the first investor I met was playing basketball at the gym. And then he introduced me to someone else. And then I met a founder who introduced me to a couple different investors. Um, and yeah, we, we raised a pre-seed round, but that then kind of just started piling on. I mean, you know, once, once the first check come in, comes in, it, it just turns into a, a feeding frenzy. So you get some FOMO going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's stressful too, because you want to be able to, you know, I'm a people pleaser for sure, but it's tough to, and it's also very difficult to turn down six figure checks and just be like, no, we, we, we don't need it. And it's, we got to wait till the next round, but, um, it gets it. That's an exciting place to be for sure. And I'm, I feel really so how, fortunate. On that so how, so going back to your journey from being, you know, a college student, that's learning to write code, right? You're, you're learning computer science as you go to starting a company while in college, which is awesome. It's like living the American dream basically, right? To your, to where you are today. Um, do you write much code today or the team does that? And like your, you know, your position is, you know, totally changed. Yeah, no, I would say I spend the majority of the day writing code, not necessarily on the core product. Um, my, my focus is twofold, but one thing I'll say is like, you know, my first decision as soon as we raised money was just hire senior engineers because it's it's so high leverage to have someone who's been doing this for 10 years on your team. Um, yeah. So that that was kind of the first decision was bring in as, as senior of engineers as possible. And so I basically, from the engineering standpoint, I report to them absolutely, right? Like I'm not in a position to be telling senior engineers yeah. what to be working on and, and you know, what uh, what ways to solve certain problems. But from an engineering standpoint, I, I work on a lot of um, growth things specifically. So finding ways to get traffic to the website um, using automations and that that's a whole that's a whole other story. But I think really the big thing there is um, it's, it's I mean, product nowadays is so commoditized as compared to traffic. It's so much easier to if you want to sell T-shirts, right, you can put up a Shopify store and. 10 minutes, or if you want to even sell a, a SaaS, SaaS product, you can white label a SaaS product, but to get people to actually use your product is a totally different story. So that's, uh, I, I spend a lot of my engineering time on trying to figure out how to, um, really drive traffic. And then also, um, transcript summarization is, is a big focus of mine right now as well. Well, and that's the thing you learn as any kind of entrepreneur, um, is if you build it, they will come is not necessarily a thing, right? Like you build this, yeah. but nobody knows it exists and nobody gives a shit. Right. Yeah, and yeah. you're really the, the secret sauce to most businesses isn't the technology or the product. Like we all see lots of products and we're like, who buys this shit? Right. <laughs> and, um, it's really the go to market strategy. A lot of times that is really the secret sauce. It's, it's 
how you attract customers and getting them to see the value of it and retaining them. Like the product itself can almost be sort of really lackluster or not that great. But if it solves a problem and you, and you nail the go-to-market strategy, that's what matters the most, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't so, agree more. So, you know, you're, you're in like growth hacking mode, right? Like you're, you're trying yeah. to figure out like, yep. you know, do we get on product hunt or, or whatever these things are, right? Trying to get more eyeballs. Yeah. So we had, uh, I mean, there's a couple, it's like a lot of web scraping, um, a lot of, yeah. So, I mean, we, <laughs> growth hacking for sure. Growth hacking for sure. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. It, We're not making it up. That's the thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a whole dark underbelly of, uh, growth hacking groups and discords. And so that, that stuff is so cool to me. Just, it's like technical marketing almost. Um, so do you, do you guys do some content marketing, you know, talk about the advantages of, you know, automatically taking notes and meetings and, you know, different kinds of topics like that, that you blog about and try and rank on Google and all that kind of stuff. We're getting into that space more and more. One thing I've realized is these, uh, sort of one-off traffic spikes, um, whether that be a viral video or shark tank, even itself is they don't really matter. Yeah. It's, it becomes vanity at a certain point. And yep. It's like everybody wants to be, I mean, a few years ago, it was like, I want to be on TechCrunch. I want to be on the front page of TechCrunch. It's the same thing. Okay. Yeah. You were on TechCrunch for one, for a day, but like three weeks from now, you don't exist anymore. And if you don't have a sustainable go-to-market strategy, that's going to sign up new customers every single day, it doesn't yeah. matter. You need a consistent flywheel yeah. of people coming in and because otherwise you can't test things either. You know, it's so mm -hmm. important to be able to to split test and, and figure out exactly what problem are you solving for people? What is the, the core of, of their problem? And you can't, if you just have one day where you get 20,000 to hundred thousand, yeah. it is people, right? You, it, they're, they're in and out, you know, they're through yeah. the front door and the back and, and maybe some of them stick around, but you need, it, it's much better to have a much lower and consistent pace in my opinion. Right. It, it seems so like as you've made this journey, you know, that, that we've been talking about. Have you had some good mentors along the way that have, that have helped you, you know, grow the business and, and, you know, how to, you know, how to be an entrepreneur and, and growth hacking and all these different things. Have you had some mentors help you along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one of the, so the way I ended up getting that job in San Francisco was actually through someone I met on <laughs> clubhouse of all places months, months back when it was still kind of cool. Um, and he is, he's stuck around, through the company. He's an advisor now. Um, and just really, you know, growth hacker through and through yeah. and has been building products and, and in sort of the Silicon Valley scene for many years. So he's sort of the, the core of like my, I would say advising network, but that's such an important thing too, is, is building a network of mentors and, and nurturing those relationships too, because those it's so high leverage to have people that have done what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And it kind of comes back to that idea also of just surrounding yourself with the right people. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you, there's something to be said absolutely for you, you, you are a product of who you surround yourself with and, and the kind of conversations you have on a daily basis mm -hmm. are what shapes you. And if you can have those conversations with people who are doing the same thing as you, that's fantastic. But even better is if you can have conversations with people who have done what you want to do and have been Absolutely. through that path that you want to go down. I mean, that that's been a huge learning for me. And uh, the, the yeah. problem is at your stage, like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. yeah. You, don't, you don't even know what you don't know. Right. 
And the more you can surround yourself with people that have done these things, um, it's, it's a huge, huge benefit, right? And um, I mean, I think that's the key thing for anybody who wants to go through this journey is surrounding, you, surrounding yourself with people that have done it before. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And taking their advice, right? I mean, you, you have to take it all with a grain of salt because some people are going to give you some terrible advice probably along yeah. the way. But, um, you know, you know, finding some good mentors and advisors. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen before that's like really your, your net worth is really the, you know, based on the people you know. And I, I, I definitely somebody really believes that true. Like if I want to start a business today, I know a lot of people that might be able to help me. They could be customers. They could be advisors. They could be investors. They know things about industries I don't know, right? Like the, the more people you know, that network that you have, is extremely valuable in business. Yeah, that, I think it's that's so beautifully said. It's the network that really, <clears throat> really counts. You know, if everything goes to shit with what you're working on, you know what? What do you do? What's what's next? What's the plan? And if you are surrounded by people that can help you make sure a that that doesn't happen, or b you know there's tons of opportunities around yeah. you wherever you look. Life is just a game of passing up opportunities I think is the way I look at it. So you know I I sold my last company last April so it's been about a year and immediately I had three friends that are like hey Matt you need to come help us. You know and, <laughs> and it's that network it's it's who you know, right? So it's like on to the next opportunity to go work with with some friends that I know and and do some cool stuff. Yeah. It's all who you know. That's that's so true. That's so true. Well, once again, a big thank you to today's uh, sponsor, Canva. With Canva, you can work together from wherever. Get on the same page as your team with seamless real-time collaboration. What will you design today? Explore and start designing for free at Canva.com. Well, I think this is uh, great uh, hearing your journey. You know, I um, I love the the going from college to, you know, starting a startup story. It's always a fun story, right? And uh you know, solving your own problem. You're like, I don't want to go to these college classes. I'm going to record them. Like, I love the story. I think it's a, it's an amazing story. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's uh, it's it's an interesting journey. You know, it's a lot about just learning to embrace the fact that you don't know anything that's going on. You just gotta just try things. Um, but yeah, it's it's been an incredible, incredible experience, and I'm so happy that we could have this conversation. Yeah, and I, I think I think the the service that you offer, um, I think it's, you know, could be valuable for, for college students and, and all these other needs. But to me, I think there's a huge need for it in businesses where they just have weekly meetings every day, weekly stand up meetings, all this stuff. Like how do we record them? You know? Um, and it, and it can be as simple as, uh, one-on-ones like think about companies that have one-on-ones with their employees every week. And it's like, Oh, we need to record those. So we know, like I told so-and-so they were shitty at their job forever. And yeah, we fired them. But I told them they were shitty like 70 weeks in a row, right? Like <laughs> recording all of that stuff could be super valuable, man. I, I think there's a huge need for yeah. this in the business side. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to shameless plug. I hope you don't mind. If anyone is in you know a business sphere and looking for this kind of software, peter at Bueller.com, B-E-U-L-R.com, send me an email because uh, we're coming out with this. It's, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're planning on totally disrupting the landscape of meetings right now. It's a broken system and uh, we've got an exciting product coming. So do you? Do you have any competitors really for what you're trying to do? Uh, not necessarily. There's some, I would say we're kind of falling into a niche of um, companies like Rewatch, I think is a really cool uh, company that we're, we're looking at a lot. And what they do is it's, it's sort of a central video hub. Um, I think it's more, more built towards HR teams that want to, for onboarding, right? Like have people in one place where they can, 
uh, all their video in one place. Like training related. Describable. Yeah. But I will say that's kind of, you know, it, it, it uh, affected some of our ideas in some way, but what we're building is, is um, definitely going to be first of its kind. The key is finding your niche, right? And then finding your, your go-to-market strategy to, to reach those people. And one thing I would definitely recommend to you and recommend to anybody who's listening is get, you know, figuring out your go-to-market strategy is the hardest thing. And, and uh, I'm a big fan of this book. I believe it's called Channels. It's about all the different traction channels. There's like 18 different traction channels and figuring out which one works. And you know, it could be content marketing, could be digital marketing, could be going to uh, trade shows. It could be speaking at trade shows. It could be writing a book. It could be a lot of different things. There's like 18 of them. And uh, highly, highly recommend that. And on, honestly, it was kind of a savior in my last company because we were really struggling to figure out our go-to-market strategy. Like we tried like all sorts of things and none of them worked. And we just went down the list of 18 and said, you know what? These two right here are the ones that should work the most. We'll focus on those and forget the rest of them. And uh, that, that was big for us. You know, it's just trying to figure out what is, what is your go-to-market strategy and, and double, doubling down on the ones that work. You know, um, definitely recommend anybody listening to, to check out that book or just Google like traction channels. Uh, so yeah, that's highly very, recommended. Cutting out the fat, very important. Yeah, because you can't, you can't do everything, right? You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't try and from a marketing perspective, you're a small company, right? You can't do everything. You got to figure out what works and you got to double down on what works. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. Any, any parting words, uh, for, you know, other entrepreneurs that are listening, you know, any words of wisdom? Oh man, I would, uh, you know, I guess one of my favorite quotes, I, I probably can't get it to a T, but it's, uh, by Wolf Tibby and it's, it takes time outside of the regular structure of life to really get into this entrepreneurship space. And, uh, you gotta, you gotta just spend time struggling, failing, struggling, failing, and that feedback loop of learning is a lot faster if you surround yourself with other people who are doing the same thing. So, just you know, take the leap if if it's something you want to do. And uh, you know, I, I also feel like <laughs> I haven't made it too far myself, so I'm not really in a position right. to be giving advice. But that's, I think, the only advice I can really give is just keep trying, and that's what I'm doing now. Just keep trying stuff and uh, keep learning, and it's really, it's really fun. It's really great. I'm going to, I'm going to give you my favorite quote and it's from Mike Tyson. And I think it applies perfectly for being an entrepreneur. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. There you go. And that pretty <laughs> much sums up being an entrepreneur every day. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Well said. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, sir. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that, that enjoyed this and, uh, are trying to follow in your footsteps, honestly. And, uh, I think it's a great journey and, uh, just keep fighting the good fight, man. Um, you know, just, uh, being an entrepreneur is a, a lifelong journey. So, um, uh, just keep at it. Yeah. Thanks, man. Take care. Take care. Startup hustles brought to you by fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.